Well, good morning. It is great to be here. Um, Matt asked me to, to preach on David, and when he said that, I was like, you know what? That's awesome. I mean, if you want to give me a person in the Bible to preach on, David would be one of my first choices. I just love that. But then I started thinking, there's a lot to, to put in, you know, for David's life. So um, we're going to be here till 3. So if you didn't get a coffee, you can go back there anytime and jump in and get that. But um, last week, I'm sitting where you're sitting during right in the beginning of the service, and I get a phone call. Normally, I don't check it until Matt starts preaching, and then I start texting. You know, you know who you are. So, but I figured I'd better check it. And it's somebody who's calling that I said, I know they're in the service. So I was like, all right, so I better go out and figure out what's going on. I go out in the back, and there they are. And they said, Nelson, we have a problem. And I'm like, okay, I'm on staff here. I can handle this. The urinal is overflowing in the bathroom. <laughs> and so the first thing I thought was, of all the people in the entire church that you could have called for this problem, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm probably one that caused the problem? Why would you call me? It's not like I think it's beneath me. It's way above me to, to anything with plumbing. And so I went in there, and first of all, I'm, I'm thinking, like, do you, can you even say urinal in a church? It seems like potty mouth. It's like, it's like potty mouth. Yeah, okay. So, um, but I was just like, so I went in there, and I was like looking at it going, yep, it won't stop running. I, you know, and then I was like, I don't know what to do. Because it's not like you take a plunger and you plunge it. And nowadays, all the toilets have batteries in them. <laughs> What's going on with that? And so I'm looking at, and so I finally call my friend, he's a plumber, and he comes over and I said, I'm just going to watch so that next time, if they ever do call me again, which they won't, um, I can kind of at least know where to start. And so he goes through and I was like taking notes and like, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I'm looking and I thought about it and I said, I'm the last person anyone would call for electrical or plumbing problems. Because I'm a disaster when it comes to that stuff, and most people know that. But when we think about David, when David was called to be king of Israel, David was the last person most people would have chosen to be the king of Israel. And we're going to look at that and see that. We're going to start in Acts. If you've got your, your Bibles, um, I want to encourage you to, to open up to page 223 in the Pew Bible, in the Bible in the chair there. Or um, we're going to be in... 1 Samuel chapter 16 to start. And we're going to be, but we're going to start with Acts 13 because Acts 13 kind of gives us a summary. It's Paul and he's talking to the believers and he kind of gives a summary of leading up to where we're at now and what happens. So Acts chapter um, 13, starting with verse 16, it's on the screen there. So Paul stood Hang on, I got my notes here, and they're all mixed up. So. so Paul stood, lifted his hands to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, you, fear, you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grew strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery, put up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. 
But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. So we look at that, and we see that leading up to it, the, the people come to Samuel the prophet and said, all these other countries around us have kings. We want a king like them. Because up to that point, who was Israel's king? It was God. But they wanted a king that they could actually see. A king that they could actually touch and say, hey, you know what? We want a king like everyone else. So God went to Samuel and said, Samuel, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as king. And so we start out with God as a rejected king. And it's kind of cool how when we end this, we're going to see Christ coming to restore God's kingdom. And so, so they, Saul comes in and becomes king. He messes up and he, and he does things opposite of what God wants. So God says, I've rejected him. I'm now going to, you know, find a new person to be the king of Israel. And so he goes to Samuel the prophet and he says, I want you to go to Jesse, Jesse's house. And I want you to go in there because he's got these sons. One of those sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So the prophet Samuel, we're going to see in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house. And we'll pick it up in... Let's pick it up in verse 6. It says, When they arrived, Samuel arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse. It says, He took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge him by his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when Samuel comes in, he sees the first son, and he says, that's the picture of a king. That's the one that we need to be the king. This is Samuel, the prophet of God, who got caught up in saying, we got to have somebody who looks the part. And if we're honest, we're all caught up in that at times. We look for certain things. Even spiritually, we look for certain things and we say, there's a person that can be used by God. Or we, we just look and we say, we're always looking at what the out, what outward appearance looks like. But God says, I'm looking at the heart. So Jesse goes, so we see that Samuel goes through and you look at the rest of chapter 16. Samuel goes through and he goes to each of the sons and God says, no, 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 no. So you got to picture Samuel at this point. He's thinking, God did I hear you right? Because you said it's one of these sons. And he gets to the last one, and God says, nope. So Samuel's like, so he finally goes to Jesse and says, any more sons? And here's Jesse going, oh, yeah. There's that guy out, you know, my, my youngest one, he's out tending the goats and the sheep in the field. Not even invited to this little powwow of all the Jesse's sons. Because that was the last person that even probably his father thought would be called the next king. So, so Samuel goes, go get him and bring him to me. As soon as David walks in, says, that's, God says, that's the one. He's the anointed one. And Samuel anoints him king. Understand this. He's about 15 years old. You know, I, I want to say, how many here have a kid that used to be 15 or is 15 or 
going to be 15. Okay. Pretty much. Um, I have four kids. Two of them have already been 15. Two may become 15 if they're not, if they're careful. So, but, um, but I've got four kids. And I remember at 15, if somebody would have come up and said, hey, guess what? Your 15-year-old is going to be the next president of the United States. I would have been pulling to Jesse and saying, get him back to the sheep. You know, that's not, that's not going to work. But here's a 15-year-old. God says, this is the next king of Israel, David. So I want to look real quick at a few things about David and then some things that we can learn from how God interacted with David. First thing is David had humility. David had humility because he's anointed king. And you look at the next chapter, the next chapter, and we look at and he says, here he is, you're going to be the next king of Israel. It's not even the next chapter, it's just a few verses later. 1 Samuel 16, 18 and 19. Saul is like having trouble. The king is having trouble, and he says, I need someone to come and play some music for me. Kind of keep me calm. So they go up, and he says, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. Not a lyre. He plays a lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Just a few verses later, where is David after he's just been anointed king of Israel? He's not the king yet, but he knows that when Saul, you know, is dead, he's going to become the next king. He goes back to tending the sheep. He goes back to what God had called him to do in the beginning. To me, that shows a a sort of humility because he could have gone to his father and said, Hey, you know what? Why don't you send one of those non-anointed sons of yours to be? I, I've got people. I've got, to, I've got to get a cabinet together. I've got a lot of things I've got to do. I'm going to be king soon. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I've got to be ready. But he's, he goes back to what he was doing before this. It's almost you can just picture it where David's like, oh, that's cool. I've got to go. You know, it's just kind of that's, that's it seemed to be the attitude David had. Was that, and that's one of the reasons that God chose David was the humility he had. He took the small things, and we're going to look at in a second, took the small things and he did them well. Whatever he was asked to do, he did it to the best of his ability. So he had humility and then integrity. Psalm 78, 71, and 72 says, From tending the sheep, he brought him to the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. David led with integrity of heart. He, he, he had a heart that was a heart that could be trusted. It had integrity. And a side note here, if you're looking at your notes in the bulletin and you're like, dude, this guy's all over the place. Yes. Because I put those in. We have to get those in early in the week. And then God doesn't speak to me until Friday. And so by the time I put this all together, you know, and get it done, like, the, the notes are still there, but I would say that's why I just told them, put a bunch of, just put notes and a lot of lines on the side, and then they can just put what they want in there. Because I know some people are going, I just can't do this, because he's not following the, the line. And um, I just, I've never done that in my life. I've never followed what I was supposed to do. So, um, but, okay, so we have, back on track here. David was humble, he had integrity, faithfulness, and loyalty. You look at David, and we, we, we get to the story that a lot of us know about, 
there's a couple stories that kind of stand out. David and Goliath is one that a lot of us know about. David and Goliath, Goliath is up there mocking the Israelites and mocking God. And all the Israelite army is cowering in fear. And David comes up and says, what is going on here? You're mocking my God. And so he comes up, and this is what David says to Saul when, when they say, you know, you're too small to do this. David persisted in 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 37. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Stop there for a second. Let's just stop there. All right? I'm sorry. That's not me. That's not anything like me. I watch, I'll be honest, Duck Dynasty is like my, I love that show. And I want to go visit them and say, I want to just kind of hang out with you guys for a day and just say, that's so cool. Until I see the episode where there's a crocodile running around their front yard. Then I was like, you know, I'll just call you and we'll chat because I'm not going to go near that. I'm not, but I'm picturing, here are bears and a lions, and here's what David says. I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. And then it, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. There's another part of understanding who David was. He didn't sit there and say, I am so strong that I punched this lion in the mouth and I killed it, or and this bear. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear, he says, will rescue me from this Philistine. He understood that it was God. Anything that he did came from God. And so all of these things as you look at David, David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. And all these things show what that really means. What does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It's somebody who recognizes anything that happens in my life comes from God. And David understood that. So he was faithful and he was loyal. In Matthew 25, 21, the parable of the talents, where you've got this master who comes in and he gives talents to the different servants. And the servant he gave five to comes back and he says, hey, I took what you gave me and I doubled it. Here's 10. And the master says, <clears throat> Matthew 25, 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in, in handling this little thing. Now let me put you in charge of many things. And I, looked, I listened to that and I said, what a great example of David. I gave you little things to start with. I wanted you to tend sheep and goats. Trust me, tending sheep and goats back then wasn't like the job that everybody was clamoring for. It wasn't like, come back when you get your doctorate and we'll talk about maybe you can hang out with the sheep. I mean, it wasn't the high-end job. But David did that to the best of his ability, as we see how he, he protected them. And um, so he was faithful and loyal. <clears throat> and then the last one is one that I think we can all relate to. I think we all have it. It's patience. Okay, we all have it. We just hide it real well a lot of times. I know I do. And when we think of patience... I mean, here's, here's a, um, a poem, that, a little thing that I, I read that I, I thought was really true. <clears throat> Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, never in a man. So, you, you know, I know the wives are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I read that and I was like, that's 
probably true for most of us here, that we have patience until things don't happen fast enough. And we're going to talk about God's timing and how patience comes in. You know, the worst place for patience is the hospital. I'm going to give you a second because there's two ways to go with that. But it is, it's true of both. I mean, I remember when I had surgery, I went in and I'm, I'm laying there and they said, okay, we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to do this, this surgery. And I was just dying. I didn't want it. I was getting ready to speak in front of six or 700 teenagers in like a couple weeks. And I had to have the surgery where they're going to have to do this all of a sudden. And it was just going to be really bad. It wasn't going to work out well for me. And so I was just kind of like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I'm kind of fighting and screaming it. So they, they put the IV in. They roll me down to the hallway where they're going to do the surgery. And then they got the IV in. The anesthesiologist is like, we're going to do this. And they're going to, you know, this is what's going to happen. And I was just like, oh. And then somebody, another nurse says, or we could try antibiotics. And I was like, now you got the needle in me? And now you're saying, here, here's another option we could think about. And I was like, I'm for that. You know, I'll take anything, you know. And so they decide, okay. And I was like, what is going on here? So I have like six or seven nurses and doctors around me. And they go, good idea. I'm serious. Within five seconds, I'm by myself. I'm like laying in this hallway and I'm on the bed going, Hello? Hello? Anyone? Anyone? I laid there for at least seven days. All right? You know what it's like. It's, it was probably seven minutes, but every minute was a day. And I'm just laying there going, this is nuts. And I got this sheet. And, and so finally, they came and said, hey, we're going to go in. We've got to do x-rays. And I said, all right, here's... And, and so this intern comes in and, and pushed me around. And I said, do you mind? I've been laying in this bed for a while. Can I just have some fun? And, and I, have, I just laying there with a sheet. And he goes... I don't care. All right, here's what we're going to do. We've got to go downstairs, all right? Could you please, when we get in the elevator, I mean, if, if somebody stops, could you allow me to do something? And he goes, all right. So it happens. And I was like, good. The elevator stops. And as it's stopping and people are, you know, the door's getting ready to open, I put the sheet over me and I lay there as still as it can be. <laughs> and I just lay there. And I couldn't see because I'm, I'm just laying there. And... He said that two walked in, three walked in, and two walked out. All right? So the, the, the last person that stayed in there, I didn't do what I wanted to do, was as the elevator shots and they were going down, I wanted to grab his leg. And I wanted to say, don't let him take me. I'm still alive. But I didn't do that. I, that's what I wanted to do. But I don't have the patience. I'm sitting there going, this is crazy. I got to have something to do while I'm waiting. So when we think of patience, a lot of us guys understand that it's not something that we're good at. We don't like to wait for things. So, so, and we look at 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. David has been anointed king. He knows that what's going to happen is that when Saul dies, he's the next king of Israel. Saul is now jealous of David because everyone's loving David and singing songs about David. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't like this guy. I want him dead. So Saul goes out and tries to kill David. So David's running for his life. Two times, 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. He, Saul's in a cave by himself and his army is hiding in the cave. And his men go, 
Now's the chance. Now you can become king. And it says that David felt guilty about even thinking about that. And he says, who am I to touch the anointed one of God? Who am I to tell God when this is going to happen? He said, I'm going to do this on God's time. So David would trust God and he was patient. And that was some tough stuff because it wasn't like he was just waiting to be king. He was running for his life as well. So there's a lot that went in there. But I want to look at three lessons that we can look at. When we, when we think of, we think of David and, and God. The first one is God's choice is not always our choice. David was not the first choice that most of Israel said, that's the guy who we want to be our king. That's the guy we want to follow. They were saying Eliab. Even Samuel the prophet was like, Eliab is going to be the next king. But God said, you are looking at the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart because the king that follows after me is going to be the king that's going to do great things. The king that looks the part may start to think, I can do this on my own. And start getting caught up in that. And then that's what, Saul, that's what happened to Saul. Saul started doing things himself. Saul showed um, the picture of impatience when he was waiting and, he, and things didn't happen as fast as he wanted. So he started doing things that he wasn't supposed to do. And God ends up saying, hey, because you're so impatient, because you're not listening to me, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm rejecting you as king. So God's choice isn't always our choice. The second one is God's timing isn't always our timing. Or should we just say God's timing isn't our timing? Because if we're honest, there are many times when we sit there and we pray for something. And we've got in our mind, we make the mistake of putting in our mind a calendar. God does not have a calendar in his mind. It's just like one continuous day forever. So God doesn't sit there and say, all right, June 10th, let's do it. God just says it's going to be done at the perfect time. But we sit there and say, God, June 10th, please make it June 10th. And sometimes that's okay. But guess what? June 11th comes and we sit there and go, God, you failed me. You didn't do what I asked. Well, the good thing about in my life is that I'm such a procrastinator. I don't, I wait till the last minute that God's timing is usually a little closer to the, my timing than a lot of people that plan way ahead. If you're playing way ahead, you're in real trouble. That's why I don't do it. Cause God, a lot of times waits in, in our mind. It seems like he's waiting. And so, um, cool. Um, I had a cool thing happen not too long ago. My mother lives in Lindenville, Vermont. Does anyone know where, does anyone know where Vermont, let's start there. Does anyone know where New England is? And then when you're Vermont, you look at the map and it's kind of like, dude, that's like a slice of Iowa. It's like they cut off like the very east part of Iowa. And so Vermont, very small state. My mother lives there, Lindenville, Vermont, just a tiny little town. And she called and says, I need a break. I'm going to go out and visit your sister in Indianapolis. And, you know, so she's going to trans- come, come back and forth between my sister and I for a while. She goes, and I need a break. And I'm trying to figure out stuff as far as transportation. Because she can take the train, but the train is three hours from her house. And in Vermont, they don't have trains in Vermont. You have to go to the next state to get a train. They don't have cars in Vermont. So they don't have anything really in Vermont that's, you know. So, so she has to take a train, but it's a three-hour trip to get to the train. And I was like, I'll try to figure out what we, and I'm making calls and 
she has a lot because some good friends there, but they're all things are happening where she can't get a ride during that time. I'm at the Tri-State Work Camp a couple weeks ago. One of my leaders is an Emmaus student, and she comes up and says, I can't stay the night tonight because I'm heading out tomorrow morning on a trip. And I was like, okay. Susie says, hey, where are you going? My wife, Susie. And so she goes, I'm going to Vermont. So Susie's like, oh, that's cool. Nelson's, you know, parents are from there. Where in Vermont? Yeah, exactly. Lindenville, Vermont. And I was like, seriously, that's like you going to China and someone saying, I'm heading out to Piasta tomorrow. I mean, not even Dubuque. I mean, Dubuque is a metropolis compared to Lindenville. But she's like, I'm going to Lindenville, Vermont. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, go visit my mother. You know, so, so there was four of them, four girls that went there. So they went, and I said, and buy her a gift and say it's from me when you're there. So she did. She actually called me and said, here's what you bought your mother. I was like, yeah. So that was kind of nice of me. So, so she gets there, and she's visiting with them. And as she's visiting with my mother, some of you here have met my mother, all right? And my mother can visit. Well, you think I can talk. I got it from her. So um, she, can, she can visit. So she's visiting, and they're talking. And all of a sudden, my mother says, Here's the situation, you know, we're just talking, I'm going to take the train on Saturday. And as they're talking, there's four girls in the car, so it's a packed car. Two of them, one, one, two of them are not with them, so there's only two of them. They have to go down to the very town that the train is leaving from to pick up one of the girls. And it's the day before, so my mother had to change you know, the, the ticket one day. They're going... First of all, they're going to Lindenville, Vermont. Okay, right there it's like, okay, God, you win. But then it goes on and God says, hang on, I got more. He goes, not only that, but I'm going to provide the ride, not from someone in Vermont, but from somebody in Dubuque, Iowa, who's going to go out to Vermont and take your mother down to the very town that the train needs to, to leave from in that timing. And I looked at it and I said, that is just so awesome how God does that. Because I can promise you, promise you, that when I was putting this together, how my mother was going to get, end up in Indianapolis, no way would I, would I figure that one out. You know, I would have been like freaking out. But God says, I got it. I'll take this kid and I'll bring him over here and we'll go down and we'll go like that. And I was like, my mind doesn't work. That's just, I'm just like, God, you were so cool. Your timing is so much better than our timing on that. And we've got to understand that. We've got to understand that God's timing is perfect. Please understand it. Walk away with one thing. God's timing is perfect. Because David understood that. He had his chances to sit there and say, I can become king right now. But he said, I'm doing it in God's timing. I'm trusting God in this situation. And so then we go on and we say, the third one is, we, we know David and Goliath, and a lot of us know the other story, David and Bathsheba. Right? A man after God's own heart. The Bible says, here's a guy who's going to follow after God, and it says, do what I want him to do. So obviously, the next thing that we think of that would happen was that he would go commit adultery and murder, right? It doesn't fit. We sit there and go, he's a man after God's own heart. But the part that we have to understand in that He's a man. Okay? He's human. He's not perfect. He's going to mess up. So we look at David and we say, 
look at this guy. I want to be like David. There are so many things about David. I said, I want to be like David. And then all of a sudden we go, ah! I don't want to be like David. I want, to, I want to be like David again over here, but I want to not be like David here. And we look at it, and David messes up big time. He commits adultery, and then he tries to cover it up. And, and when he can't cover it up, he ends up having her husband murdered, so he's not caught. And so you talk about, what a mess. And so God, we look at what God says from that, and we're, we're looking at um, 2 Samuel 12, 11-14. Just a second. Second Samuel 12, 11 through 14. Look what it says here. When he's caught. <clears throat> says, this is what the Lord says. Because Nathan comes up to him. Nathan confronts him. The prophet Nathan comes up and says, he basically shares his story. And basically comes out and says, you're busted. So here's David. Chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12, 11 through 14. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. And he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nonetheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. So God goes to David and says, I've forgiven you, but there are still going to be consequences. And a lot of times we want God's forgiveness, but we don't want God's justice. God says, I'm going to forgive you. And as parents, we understand this. If our kids mess up, we can forgive them. But there are times when there are still going to be consequences for the stuff you've done. And God says, you're forgiven, but because of your sin, you know what? Your, first, your son that you had with Bathsheba is going to die. And then you look from there on out, if you, as you look at the, from 2 Samuel, the rest of 2 Samuel, his family's a mess. His sons start to rebel against him, and he starts, like, his sons do the stupid, evil, bad things. And, it, and it, basically, when you read the scripture, David just kind of says, oh, dummies. And that's pretty much all he does. He doesn't seem to do a whole lot more. And his sons start rebelling to where they want to kill David to take over the throne. Irony? David has a chance to kill Saul to become king, and he doesn't do it. His own sons plot to try to kill David so they can take over the throne. It's kind of weird how the twist and turns. But David messes up, and God forgives him. And we talk about God and his forgiveness. He forgives us. And that's the cool thing about what Easter is all about is God's forgiveness. All the things that we've done. God says, I want to forgive you for that. And, and um, so then we look at the last thing here. And the last thing is God's promise. We're going to go back to before David messes up to 2 Samuel 7, verse 16. God, the 2 Samuel 7 is called the Davidic promise. You've got a lot of promises that God covenants that God um, provides with Abraham and, and others. And you get to David, and it's the, the, the Davidic covenant, or the promise God gives to David. And David says, God, I want to provide a, place for, a permanent place for you to live. 
Because up to this point, they've been wandering in the wilderness, and God's presence stayed in the ark, the ark of the covenant. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what it looks like. I don't have to describe it. But the ark of the covenant, they had certain rules and regulations of how they're going to carry the ark. And that's where God's presence stayed with Israel. So they get to Israel, they get to the promised land, and David says, God, I want to provide a permanent place for you. So God goes to David and says, you think that I really need that? But instead, I'm going to provide something for you. And we're going to look at 2 Samuel verse seven, verse, I mean, chapter 7, verse 16. He says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. And then we look at how we started out. We look at Acts chapter 13. The verse, some of the verses that we just started with. And it says, It is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. So God goes to David, and he says, Because of who you are, because you're a man that seeks after me, and even though God knew how David was going to mess up, he says, Through your line, as you go through your descendants, Christ, the ultimate king, The king that's going to restore God as king because God is rejected as king by Israel when they said, we don't want, you know, the prophets. We want a king like everyone else. So the people reject God as king. But God is restored as the ultimate king through Christ when Christ came. And we look at this and we say that came through David's line. That was the promise God gave to David was the ultimate savior, the ultimate king is going to be one of your descendants. So, we, so it's kind of cool how God chose David's line to do that. And as we close up here, we think about Easter next week and what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that David's descendant Christ came to save us, to forgive us, and to, to give us a chance to restore that relationship that's been messed up. So I want to encourage you to, to, to think about that as we plan for next week. And we think about what Easter is in that celebration. Think about David and the great things that David did. And even when he messed up, how God forgave him and and moved him on. But the fact that Christ came out of David's line. When you look at David, there's a lot of similarities between David and Christ. And David started with humble beginnings. He started as a shepherd. He becomes king. Christ There's no room in the inn. He's born in a barn, a stable. Comes king. And that's who we worship. That's who we celebrate. That's the reason that we meet here is to celebrate who Christ is and what he's done for us. So as we think of David's life and we think of the things that happen in David's life and things we can learn from that, the ultimate thing to think about is that through his line came our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you did come to save us, to forgive us for our sins. But Lord, it's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we have to to follow through on. And I just thank you so much, Lord, that you love us enough to die on the cross for us. So we think of what Good Friday represents. Lord, and the sadness there. Whether we think of the joy that comes out of 
Easter and, and just the fact that you conquered death. Lord, as we sang earlier, you took the sting of death. There's no more victory because of what you've done for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we just give the rest of this day and the rest of this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen.